Good morning. Welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here at Mission View. If this is your first time with us, welcome. So glad you're here to worship with us this morning. And we've been in a series looking over our beliefs. And if you go to our website, uh, missionviewchurch.org, you can go to uh, the About Us tab and then go down to the belief section and you can find all the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Today we are going to be talking about the resurrection. Now when I, I say the word resurrection, what, what's kind of the first thing that comes to our minds as Christians? Anybody? Jesus' resurrection, right? That's like, the, that's what the first thing that comes to mind. And, but actually what we're going to be talking about is our resurrection. What happens, what happens then? You know, what, what is that all about? So we're going to be uh, jumping around a little bit in Scripture, but I'm going to spend most of my time in Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, I know I get to preach out of Revelation today. I'm really excited about that. But open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20, and uh, we'll be spending a lot of time there. But just as we, before we jump kind of into that, I want to review just a little bit of the things we've talked about over the last few weeks. We started out, we started out talking about the Bible, that it is God's word, that it is God-breathed. It's, it's no normal book. It is different than any other book. It is holy. It is supernatural. That it is man's hands may have penned it, but God breathed those words out onto the pages that we now have called the Scriptures. So we talked about the Bible. It is God's inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. And then we talked about the Trinity, there is one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is fully God and entered human form by the miracle of the virgin birth, lived a sinless life, and died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. Amen? Amen. Man, that is the good news, right? Jesus for us. We're so thankful for that good news. The Holy Spirit is God. His ministry is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, to convict the world of sin, and minister to the unbeliever. We believe it is the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction. And I always like to differentiate conviction from condemnation. How do you know if the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction into your life? And, and, and it's not condemnation. Here's, here's how we differentiate that. Conviction of the Holy Spirit draws us to repentance. It grants us repentance to God. It draws us to the foot of the cross in repentance. Condemnation causes us to run from God. It, is, it causes us to run away from his grace. It causes us to run away from forgiveness. It doesn't bring up repentance in our hearts and in our lives. So that's the difference between the Holy Spirit's conviction and that, that little nagging con condemnation that comes from time to time. We talked about all people are created in the image of God, but because of Adam's sin, they are sinful by nature and by choice. And apart from the forgiveness through Jesus Christ, all are lost and alienated from God. We talked about salvation. That salvation rests solely on the work of God's grace. Man, that is really, really good news too. It is not based on your goodness. It's not based on how you follow the Ten Commandments. It's not based on any of those things. You're not, you're not building a resume for your salvation. That's not how salvation works. Salvation rests solely 
on the work of God's grace. Christ's death is the only payment for sin that God will accept. All who believe in Christ are born again and become the children of God, and all believers once saved are secure in Christ forever. And today we're going to round up our statement of beliefs here with the last one, and it's this. Read it from our website directly like this. The saved will be resurrected in body and be raised to eternal intimacy with God in his presence in new earth and heaven. The lost will be raised to judgment and experience eternal wrath and hell. Now we're going to look in Luke chapter 16 and Revelation 20 for this. So if you want to you know, kind of have your finger there in both parts of the scriptures, so you can kind of look at that. Now we all know that we live in a broken world. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. You get up and you open your Facebook or your Instagram or TikTok and, and you can go through your feed and you can see that this world is a hot mess. There's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's political friction, there's all types of murder and atrocities happening everywhere. There's famines and there's starvation. It's just, I mean, everything around us. And then personally, personally we deal with this broken, fallen, sinful world and the struggles that we have in our own lives as we open our TikToks and Instagrams and we, we see things that we probably should never see. We look at things that we really don't want to look at and we, we deal with things that are grotesque and sinful. We, we, it hits us, all of us. It hits all of us. And, and then, then we deal with the consequences of sin that, that we, we all have bodies that are dying. You know, we were, we were created to live for eternity with the Lord, but when sin entered the world, death entered the world, and immediately the, the human body, the human existence became that of brokenness and decay. We are all going to die one day. And I tell you what, <laughs> The older I get, the more real that statement becomes to me. Can I get an amen, anybody? I'm 45 years old, and I'm telling you, that statement becomes more and more real. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, I was invited by some friends to go to the lake, a lake house where they have a boat and a jet ski, and we were going to have a great time out on the lake and enjoying some skiing and some jet skiing and the sun and just some, just some great time, right? Well, I go out there, and it's it's, it's been about um, 30 years since I've tried to jet ski, and, uh, or not jet ski, but ski behind a boat, you know, and uh, so uh, I think it's a great idea. They're like, hey, Matt, it's your turn. You would like to try? And I'm like, yeah, I jump in the water. It feels great. It's nice and warm, and they're on the boat. They throw me the rope. I got the skis on. It took me a little longer than it used to. I almost pulled a muscle just getting the skis on. I should have known right then. Actually, I should have known when my wife told me, hey, don't ski. <laughs> that probably was the hint that I shouldn't jump in the water and put on some water skis, okay? The last time I didn't listen to my wife, I, listened, I ended up in the hospital with four broken ribs, okay? So you know where this story's going, right? I jump in the water. It's wonderful. I, I, I get the skis on. I grab the rope, you know, and I've got this thing. I'm, I'm like, I got this. I got this. I'm, I'm ready for this. <laughs> And they, you know, I give them the nod, right? I say, I'm ready. And they hit the gas. I think I inhaled and drank so much lake water in that moment <laughs> that uh, I emptied uh, the lake of half its water. I did okay, though. You know, I, I, I had to let go. I, I, 
almost got up, but I was, I was so close. And like, all right, bring it around again, bring it around again. You know, this goes on for what seems like 10 hours. I never really make it up on the skis, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I go down multiple times. I was like, all right, Todd, I give up, I give up. And I hand the skis in, and I'm, I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling fine. You know, we get back to the house, and I get in the boat. I'm all dried off, and I go to bed, wake up the next morning. I'm like, oh, I'm a little sore. I'm a little sore, right? Let's go jet skiing. You know, I tell my wife, let's get on that jet ski. We go jet skiing, and we head home after we go jet skiing, and it's about in Akron, I think, where we stop for gas, and I go to get out of the car, and I can't move my head. <laughs> like, literally cannot move my head, you know? I get home, I, I, I go to bed, and I try to, um, you know, sleep this thing off. This is Saturday night, by the way. I'm preaching in the morning. I wake up at three in the morning in excruciating pain and can't get out of bed. Yes, great water skiing idea, right? I text Andrew and I'm like, hey, Andrew, here's my manuscript for the morning. I can't move. And uh, you may need to preach in the morning. By God's grace, somehow I ended up here and was able to preach and, uh, and, and made it through that, but ended up at uh, the hospital, or some, I forget what it's called, a surgeon's clinic, Omni or whatever, and uh, was on some heavy medications for the following week, and I, I'm finally back to normal and everything else. But we have these experiences that reveal to us, I mean, wh- where we really are, right? I mean, when you wake up at two or three in the morning and you can't get out of bed and you can't move, you're, you come real to a real grip and understanding of our fragility, of how, how, how we are weak and, and that these bodies are dying. I mean, all of us are facing it. It's not only our aging bodies that we have to deal with, but it's all these other things that, that we find in this world. Now, Jesus, here's the good news, right? There's the bad news, right? Here's the good news. Jesus came to change all of that. Jesus came and he changed all of that. Now, we, we, we're going to look at a couple pictures here in Scripture, and the first one is in that Luke 16 Scripture. I'm just going to read through this story. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. This is kind of painting this picture in, in Bible times, the the poor or who struggled, the sick who couldn't make ends meet, they would be dependent on society to provide for them, especially those who are well off in society. They would be put at the gate of someone who's well off or they would be beside the fields of those um, who were wealthy and had wheat and other things. And when um, the, they were done farming those lands, the, the poor would go and grab the leftovers or if you're at the gate of a wealthy person, the leftovers of their meals and those kinds of things. So this was not uncommon. This would have been fairly normal. Um, Lazarus was put at this guy's gate so that he could be fed, but it looks like and sounds like um, this guy's not real nice. He's not helping Lazarus out. But anyways, moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus 
in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they, come also, they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The saved will be resurrected in body and be raised to eternal intimacy with God and his presence in the new earth and new heaven. And the lost will be raised to judgment and experience eternal wrath in hell. This is what we believe. This is what the Bible teaches. We see in this picture that Jesus is painting someone who is saved. Lazarus, who's, who's recognized God, who's surrendered his life and surrendered his heart to God. In his desperation and in his meekness, it, it had nothing to his own name. It's not, a, not about your status in life. It's not about what you have. It's about your heart. And Lazarus had a heart that was surrendered to God. And, and, and when he died, he went to be with the Lord. And then we have this rich man who's seeing Lazarus, he even, even didn't, he didn't even keep his dogs away from Lazarus or somebody else's dogs away from this man who, who was entrusting to his care. He was unrepentant. He, he didn't surrender his life to God. I don't know what he was thinking, right? Like, well, maybe, maybe he just had, maybe he had everything that he needed. You know, because I, I, he had food on his, on his table he had money in his bank accounts to provide pretty much everything he needed and then needed for so many other people, probably. He probably had barns and barns full of things, bank accounts and savings accounts and investments, and, and maybe he had health insurance. I don't know. Maybe he, he knew somebody who was a doctor. Maybe he had life insurance, and he, everything was taken care of for him. His, his future for what he saw, his foreseeable future, his tangible future that he saw was just fine. He just didn't need anything. And he missed everything. I can't help but read this story and, and think, God, am I missing? Am I missing something? I, mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't put myself in Lazarus's place in this story. Not that we have to or anything like that. But I, as I read this story, this warning that Jesus gives, I, I don't want to trust, I, I don't want to trust God, the, this, this blessing that I have now, right? Like this, the things, the tangible things that I have right now. I don't want to be conned. I don't want to be conned that everything's okay, that my future's just fine because there's money in my bank account or I have health insurance or I have life insurance or I have investments or I have savings accounts or I have all these other, I don't want to be conned into that. It's a con because we see in the temporary, God deals in the eternal. We see in the natural, God deals in the supernatural and that's what he's drawing our eyes to. That's what Jesus is pointing to here. Don't miss it. Don't miss 
what he has for us. We, we have these amazing blessings here in America. Praise God. But don't miss the eternal for the temporary. Don't get conned. This life, this life is here one second and gone the next. There is not one of us in here who is guaranteed tomorrow. That's reality. There's not one of us in here, there's not one of us in here who's guaranteed this afternoon. I'm doing a graveside service this afternoon at two o'clock for a guy who loved Jesus, served his country, served in his church, loved his family. It's gonna be beautiful. But he's with Jesus now. He's with God the Father now. He has eternal reward now. We think, I'm not not gonna preach the rest of my sermon yet. I'm gonna get there though. I'm gonna get there though. Jump to Revelation 20 with me. I will say this though. God is good. God is so good. He sees us in this broken world and he sees us in the struggle of what we're dealing with. Let let me say this. He saw us from before time began. He saw us in the suffering. He saw us in the brokenness. He saw us in our aging. He saw us in the pain. And he says, I have eternity for you. Isn't that good? That's the love that God has for us. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's outside of time. We live and deal with this in time angst and trouble and God just exists outside of it. He says there's so much more for you. Hear that this morning. There's so much more for you than this life. What this life has to offer. I'm gonna start in verse uh, four of Revelation 20. Then I saw thrones. And seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And make no mistake, people, even today there are those brothers and sisters in Christ who are being beheaded because they believe this book and they've dedicated their lives to come and do what we're doing right here in freedom. Right now that's happening in our world. The testimony of Jesus and for the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their forehead or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Then jump to verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small. Now, he's not talking about, you know, seven-footers and five-foot-five people. He's talking about where their stance was, their status in life, the the other things. So he's not talking about great and small, the way we're thinking about it. Stand before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, here's the first fill-in in your notes. 
we will spend eternity with our Savior in heaven. New bodies, new heaven, new earth, all things made new. All of creation we have seen here on earth is amazing, right? I mean, we, could, we can look at the Hubble telescope pictures and look at the stars, the galaxies, and all of these things. We can go get on the his, uh, um, National, what is it, National Geographic Channel and watch all these documentaries on Earth and the oceans and all these different things and see these amazing creatures and, and different things in all the oceans. And it's, it's pointing to this creator God. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present. There's no one like him. And it, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But this world that we see is broken I mean, as beautiful as it is, as mind-blowing as it is, this world is broken. But it's meant to point us to something bigger. I want to paint a little picture here of you for that. So growing up in high school, um, I, I would look, and look at National Geographic stuff, and they would do documentaries and different things and show pictures of Northwest, the Northwest, like Washington and Vancouver, BC. Have you guys ever seen pictures from out there? They see that Victoria Island off the, co off the coast there in Canada, outside of Vancouver, is uh, known as the most beautiful place on earth. And you look at pictures that they have these waterfalls as tall as skyscrapers and beautiful turquoise waters that you can see 50 feet deep, just clear, beautiful, amazing water. And after high school, um, I uh, went to school in Langley, B.C., which is about 30 minutes outside of Vancouver, B.C. Now, growing up, I'd seen the, the documentaries, and I'd seen all these pictures, and had witnessed all this stuff, and I had these dreams of, like, going and seeing all this stuff. And I remember when all my classmates were going to go out to Victoria Island, and they were going to hike Golden Ears, which is, like, a, an amazing mountain that is just, like, unbelievable. So I go, and we're hiking Golden Ears, right? Like, this is it. This is it. I'd seen all the pictures. I, I even looked at all the, the paths and everything on a map and everything. When I was in high school, this is, I'm living the dream, people. This was it. I had seen every picture. And I remember it, it, about probably three hours into the hike, there's a um, waterfall. I forget the name of this waterfall, but I'm telling you. I'm telling you, the pictures of it were amazing. I, they're breathtaking. We get it three hours into the hike. I know it's coming. I've seen the picture, right? And, I, and by the way, there's nothing better than mountain fresh blueberries on a hike for three hours and you just walk by and grab a handful. I'm telling you, like Mark's doesn't have blueberries like this. <laughs> it's, a, it's just unbelievable. Same thing if you go out, to, out west to Arizona and you're playing golf on one of the golf courses, you grab an orange or a lemon off the orange or lemon tree. I filled my golf bag with them. Our oranges aren't like that. I'm just telling you, it's different, right? But anyways, we get three hours into this hike and I'm like, I know it's here. I know it's here. You can hear it. You can hear this waterfall. We turn this pass, there it is. Everybody just stopped. You talk about clear water, you've never seen, I'd, I'd never seen clear water like this. I mean, you could walk up to this thing and it was so loud and powerful, you couldn't talk to each other. You could feel the vibration of the water hitting the water at the bottom. I wanted to jump in, but it was like freezing. You know, I would probably frostbite, bad, bad idea. But I, I just wanted to drink it all, you know, just drink it in and, and see this amazing Blue, green, turquoise, deep, crystal color. I'd never seen anything like it. I'd seen every documentary. I mean, hundreds of pictures of this water. I knew what I was going to get to see. Pictures didn't mean anything at that moment. It was a joke. I mean, I remember looking at getting that picture when I got home. I was like... <laughs> I had my camera there, and I'm like taking every photo I can, and I get home, and I look at the pictures, and I'm like, this is a joke. 
this is terrible. This is nothing. That's what this world is meant to do for us when we think about heaven. All of God's creation cries out the glory of the creator. And everything that we see here is nothing, nothing compared to what heaven's going to be like. I mean, we can think about these waterfalls. We can think about the oceans. We can think about the galaxies and the beauty all around us. And we can be breathtaking and we can go and witness it. And then we should know that it's just a blurry, terrible four by six. Because heaven awaits you. That's what all of this points to. I think one of the, one of the greatest disservices the church has done for Christianity is not paint a picture of what heaven's really going to be like. It is a paradise. It is, there is nothing, we, we cannot comprehend in this moment, in our brokenness, in our decaying bodies, in our, our just fallen world, we cannot comprehend the beauty and amazingness of what heaven really will be like. We will have new bodies with no sickness, no disease, no aches or pains. We have perfect eyesight. Our senses will be beyond anything we can understand. There will be colors that we can't comprehend in this life that go beyond what we understand today. And we will see the face of Jesus. You will be face to face with your creator. You will be face to face with the one who hung on the cross for you, who shed his blood for you, who loved you so much he left that paradise that we're longing to go to and he came and he put on flesh and he lived the perfect life we can't live and he died the sinner's death that we deserve. You will see him face to face and he's not gonna be standing there like this with his head high and his nose up at you thinking, yeah, I died for you, you big sinner. He's going to be with wide open arms saying, come on, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. I've seen your tears. I've seen your pain. Come to me. All who are weak, all who are weak, just come to me right now. You are mine. We are his inheritance. He is waiting for us in a paradise that goes beyond anything we can comprehend. Think about the most beautiful thing you've ever th seen. Think about the most wonderful thing you've ever tasted. Think about the most beautiful thing you've ever smelled. The most wonderful, wonderful thing you've ever had in your life. It's meant to point you to your creator and say, eternity is so much better. Brothers, sisters in Christ, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you surrendered to him, you have eternity with him in paradise. And all of the struggles that we've gone through, all of the, the theological turmoil that we've gone through because of our limited understanding and his divine eternalness, you know, all those things, his frustrations we've worked through, all of this going water skiing and having a sore neck and all, all of this stuff, all of it goes away. And we'll be with Jesus face to face. We will know him. His sacrifice, his love for us, his justice, his righteousness. And we will have perfect peace for all eternity. He will make all the wrong things right. And all of the tension and struggle of our limited and broken understanding will be relieved. Friends, I hope that today from here on out, when you see the beauty of creation, you think about your eternity with Christ.
The second felon in your notes is this. Everyone will be judged. Everyone will be judged. Famous and unknown. Presidents and doctors. Kings and peasants. Dictators and lawyers. Everyone who has not believed in Christ will be judged. Everyone lives. Everyone dies. And everyone rises. Here's the good news, Christians. Christians will be judged based on the life of Christ. Let that sink in for just a minute. Let's just, let's just, let's just revel in that good news. We will be judged based on the life of Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. He didn't sin in thought or deed. When you get up to those pearly gates, you're not going to hand over that padded resume you've been working on, bro. <laughs> you're going to hand over Christ's resume. And it is perfection. That is, that is what you will be judged upon. Praise God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Judgment for those in Christ will be a judgment to reward. How did you live your life in Christ? It will be judged upon, get this, the Holy Spirit's work in you. All the good that we do in our Christian life isn't mustered up from our own strength. I hope you get that, Christians. All the good that we do in our life is the result of the power of the Holy Spirit God working in and through us. There's not one good thing Matt has done in and of his own strength, ever. Not one, not one good word. Any good deed, any good word that's come from this life is based upon, founded upon, 100% on the Holy Spirit's work. Praise God. Praise God. I don't need any of the reward. I, I don't need any of it. It is all him. It is all Jesus. It is all his spirit working in and through us. That's what we get judged on. Amen? That is good news. That is really, 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 really good news. Those who chose not to believe will receive the choice they made. They will spend eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. Just as heaven is full of beauty and is a paradise, hell is a lake of fire and torment. Now we don't fully, I'm just going to be honest with you, theologians over the centuries, we don't fully understand or grasp this truth, but we know it to be true because God's word says it's true. Jesus talked about hell just as much or more than any other topic in the Bible. And we know this, there's no second chances. When we die, it's over. There's no second chances. We can't warn those who are left behind, just like the story that Jesus told about Lazarus and the rich man. He's like, tell my brothers, send Lazarus to tell my brothers if he hears of someone. No, no, there's no second chances. What we know, it's only by the grace of God through faith in Jesus that someone can be saved from sin and the eternal consequences of our sin. But God knew God knew the consequences of sin were death and eternal separation from him. So he put a place, 
a plan into place that would reveal his glory, his power, and his sovereignty to all who would ever breathe oxygen and live. He had compassion, mercy, and grace. God sees the whole picture from before time began until, be, until time ends into eternity. And he was so moved by what he saw, he was so moved that he loved, that he loved. And in that love, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to make a way for all who would believe, anyone, anyone who would put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ that would recognize our depravity and our sin and our sinful tendencies and our, our, our slavery to sin. Anyone, anyone can put their trust in the Savior Jesus and they can have that eternity with him in paradise. All that it takes is that, is that admitting that we can't live up to the perfect standard that a perfect God demands, but that perfect God lived up to that perfect standard for us. And it's by grace, through faith, in that perfect man, that perfect God-man, Jesus, that gives us, that grants us free eternal life in Christ. Now that free gift wasn't cheap. It came at the greatest cost that God's only son had to die for that free gift. But he says, anyone, anyone can put their trust and faith in Jesus and have eternity with him in heaven. This is our hope. This is the good news. Now here's what I really wanted to get to. Heaven, hell, real places. That's the reality. If that's true and it's in this book, number three, we have to do and say something. Right? I mean, if this is real, if this is real, we have to do and say something. The reality of Christianity, of Christ and his work on the cross for our salvation, if heaven and hell are real places, and they are, then we have to say and do something. We cannot sit idly by while those around us are destined for a lake of fire and torment. Listen to the words of the rich man from hell. Then I beg you, Father to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. There's no warning. We are the ones. Lazarus isn't coming back from heaven to tell them. Nobody's coming back from heaven to tell them. It is on us. And that is the great commission. Jesus is marching orders to his church, to us, brothers and sisters. Before he ascended into heaven, and now sits at the right hand of God the Father, he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's us, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members that don't know Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm a little worked up this morning, I think. I'm passionate about the lost. I don't know, yes, you probably get that every week, right? Because I really believe heaven and hell are real. That's why I'm so passionate about this. Don't miss the message because I'm being passionate. This is real. I weep about this in my Bible studies. Because God doesn't want anyone to perish. 
but that all would come to know the grace and mercy that he has and the love that he has. We have family members. You have family members. I have family members. We have coworkers. We have neighbors that are going to end up like this. Father, somebody go tell my, tell my friends. Tell my families. That's us. It has to be us. Who are you talking to about the good news that you have? You're not some great person. I'm not some great person, but we serve a great God who has all of this available to anyone who would give their lives to Christ and recognize their sinfulness and turn and trust in Jesus. Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house for my brothers. Talk to him. Tell him. Tell him. I have brothers. Do you have brothers and sisters? don't know him. This is that moment. This is that moment. We cannot come back after we're gone. Now is the time. This is our opportunity. This is the command that Jesus has given us to go, therefore, and make disciples because he sits in eternity at the right hand of God the Father holding the keys to life and death. This is that moment mission to you. How can we weep at the foot of the cross and celebrate the joy of our salvation in isolation from the world that's going to hell? Jesus said he did not come for the well, but he came for the sick. And as soon as we go from being sick to being well, we are given the same marching orders. We go to the sick. We bring Jesus to those who don't know him. When Jesus brings us to life in him, we become the well and we begin to seek the sick. At that moment, we inherit the responsibility, the great command, and the great commission to go, therefore, and make disciples. That's why that is our mission statement, to go and make disciples. That's it. If anybody ever asks you, what's, what's the mission statement of mission? What's the mission? Make disciples. Two words. Everybody can remember it. Everybody can know it. Make disciples. There's a lot in those two words. Don't get me wrong. We can get into that for hours and days and weeks. But it's to make disciples. We need to make disciples. Share the good news with those around us. Now listen. I get it. I know it's intimidating, right? It's intimidating. It puts us in a vulnerable place, sharing, you know, sharing our testimony of the work of God in our lives. It, it puts us in a vulnerable place, but people's eternities are at risk. We have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to work through the intimidation, to be courageous, to share our testimony, the change that God has made in our lives. Every single one of us share the same testimony, and it's this, God is great and I am not. God is perfect and I am not. God is all powerful and I am not. And praise God for it. That's it. That's the testimony that Jesus made a way for broken and sinful people. So how do we do this? What does this look like in our day to day? Not just talking about it here for 40 minutes, but what does this look like Monday through Saturday and Sunday afternoon? For one, I got three things here I'll share with you. Build relationships with non-believers. I don't think I got this on the notes in time, so it probably won't pop up on the screens. So I'll say it a few times. Build relationships with non-believers. Build relationships with non-believers. Really important. And what I mean by that is intentional 
relationship. To be in the world, but not of the world. That we are to influence the world, not be influenced by the world. So as we build relationship, it is intentional relationship built on, based upon making disciples. It is taking the journey curriculum book to those people and sharing the good news with them, intentionally being friends with them. And really, isn't that what Christians are supposed to be? Kind, right? Nice? Like we should be the nicest people on our block. Hopefully our neighbors see us as that. Some practical things, just ask them out for coffee. Have them over for a cookout when you're smoking ribs, you know, and they smell it and you can tell all your neighbors come out. That's what happens in my house. I'm smoking ribs, it smells amazing. The whole, and all of a sudden, all my neighbors are out. I don't know. Hey, what's going on over there? No, I'm smoking ribs. Come on over, Dave. <laughs> Got some ribs. No, build those relationships. Have them over for dinner. Have them over for coffee. Uh, second one, ask the right questions. Ask some, ask some good questions. There's, there's great lead-in questions, you know, as you're, you're building these relationships. And they're good questions. Like, is this life all there is? Have you ever thought about that? Is this life all there is? What do you think happens after we die? I mean, everyone thinks about these questions. We just intentionally ask something like that. Do you think, do you think truth matters? I mean... I've seen some of the, the memes and different things and listened to like a couple guys talk about it, but do you think truth matters? Why? Ask, ask good questions. And the third one is love them like Jesus. I heard a pastor say one time, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. People don't care what you know until they know how much you care. And I, this, is, this is what our reflect ministry is meant to do. Show God's love in practical and tangible ways. The reflect ministry, Chad, who is just out here praying, he and his wife lead with the reflect ministry. And it's meant to show God's love in practical and tangible ways so that people witness the love of God in us through, that Christ does through us. So you can, like, mow their grass. Shovel their driveway, help them out, like especially this past winter, right? Man, we had some serious snow. I was over at my neighbor's house helping him shovel out his driveway. But just these, just these small acts of kindness, showing them God's love in practical ways, and, and then asking them, hey, is there any, anything I can pray for you for? I mean, just something that small has a huge impact. But missionary, this, this is what God has called us to to be a church on fire with the good news and the gospel of Jesus because it has changed us, changed us and set us ablaze for his kingdom and his glory. Let's be that kind of church, amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. It's a hard word, Father. There are eternities at risk. There are eternities at stake. God, I pray that we would be a people courageous to go out and share the good news of Jesus. God, just let it pour out of us that that reality of, of heaven would be so powerful, God, that it would just come out of us. Give us opportunities now. And I just pray for everyone here, everyone watching online, God, that you would give us divine opportunities to share the truth and the power of Jesus Christ. 
Give us those opportunities for your glory, for your kingdom, and for our good. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you would like to receive prayer this morning, the band's about to play a song. And um, after that song, I'd love to be able to pray with you. We have other prayer team members here that would love to pray with you. Life can be hard sometimes. We know that here at Mission View Church. So if you would like prayer, we'd love to pray with you um, after the service. Feel free to come forward at that time. But let's stand as we sing our closing song today.